She Did It Her Way podcast, episode 100, Optimize Your Business with Holly Cardew. Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, a collective of interviews with top female entrepreneurs from around the globe who have done it their way. These women are disruptors, savvy, courageous, confident, innovative, decisive, unconventional, and humble. Our ladies have proven business models, have taken risks, and have failed only for success to follow. Join us as they share their stories, behaviors, habits, mindset, thought processes, and what it is like to be a woman who means business. And now, here's your host, Amanda Bolin. Hi there, She Did It Her Way listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the She Did It Her Way podcast, the Tech Talk Thursday edition. I am your host, Amanda Bolin, and as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And I cannot believe that this is the 100th episode of the She Did It Her Way podcast. And it is just, it blows me away. And I'm so grateful for you guys. And I am utterly grateful too, as well, for our guests who come on the show and are so open about being vulnerable and sharing their experience of what it means to be an entrepreneur and getting candid conversations with these women. I know it inspires me and there's no doubt that I hope that it continues to inspire you guys and I'm looking forward to the next 100 episodes with you guys. For today, today's Tech Talk Thursday, we welcome Holly Cardue, who is the CEO and founder of Pixie, which Pixie is an online e-commerce website that takes ordinary photos, you upload them, and then they make them professional. So it's for anyone who's in the online industry that wants to sell products, they turn around and make your photos look professional within 24 hours. And during our conversation with Holly, Holly and I talk about how the bumps that she hit in the road with her prior business adventures, ventures, excuse me, but I'm sure it was an adventure as well, and how she finally found her way to optimize her business and reach success. And she did this all without a business degree. So some of the things that we hit on in this episode is that you will understand the importance of surrounding yourself with good people. Discovering the business strategies behind Holly's e-commerce site, which is extremely valuable for anyone who's considering or wants to learn more about e-commerce, and value the the value of breaking up projects into smaller components, plus a few more highlights as well. So make sure you guys tune into this episode with Holly Cardew. Optimize your business. You guys are tuning in to this week's podcast. I have Holly Cardew, who is the founder of Pixie, and um, she, I'm super excited to have her on here because she has a really unique journey, but very similar to previous entrepreneurs that we had on the show, but I believe that everyone has their own unique journey and story. So Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell us in one sentence what it is that you do. Yeah, Pixie is a product listing optimization platform for e-commerce stores, which basically means that if you sell something online and you have uh, difficulty making your product photos look great, you send them to us and we return them to you optimized and edited within 24 hours. Okay. So tell us, uh, how did you get there or like walk us through your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, in uh, I started the business in Australia and I was living part-time in Sydney, which is where I grew up, and part-time in the country, so in a town of 40,000 people. And the town was a little bit like wine country. I don't know if, uh, you know, oh. Napa in, you know, just outside of San Francisco. But it was like there were a lot of boutiques. They had a lot of money, but none of them were selling online. So I decided to start a marketplace, which enabled people in the country or people in the city to shop stores that were in the country. 
because they had their you know local clothing boutique that they loved going to. And I built this online marketplace, but the biggest problem uh, with the marketplace was our product content. So all the all the photos, the descriptions, the pricing, and all the information you needed to sell online. So I launched a page, a landing page. For Pixie, where you could just send in your photos and within 24 hours, they would come back looking beautiful within 24 hours. And in our third week, a store in another state, so a business in another state in Australia, submitted 800 photos. And I realized it was a much bigger problem than our marketplace. So I pivoted and now I have Pixie. So um, what did you do in that instance that (laughs) you were like, Oh my God, what do I do with these 800 photos? Because for the, was it, I mean, like in the beginning, were you the only one that was processing the photos? Or did you No. So my rule from the very beginning was I would never touch any photos. That was my one rule. Because if I touched the photos, then it would never ever work. So I always, I just had to get a lot of graphic designers. And as much as you want to touch the photo, like I wanted to touch the photos, I wanted to do it. It was faster for me to hire 20 graphic designers than to try and do 800 images. And I knew that if I hired 20 graphic designers, we could all they could all do you know 50 images each. Well, that's only 400. Um, but we hired a lot of graphic designers and did a lot of work. So I just went about hiring. No way. That Where did you go to hire? Uh, so I've used different freelancing platforms. I mean, there's Craigslist. You can post jobs. So I went to, at the time, I went to Odesk, which is now called Upwork. Okay. Wow. Okay. Did you, what was your journey like before, um, Pixie or did you, what was your experience with entrepreneurship before that? Yeah, I have a really odd background. I uh, studied first year university in Paris. I studied, uh, visual communication, which is also part design, part advertising. And I decided that it wasn't really for me. So I left Um, In terms of entrepreneurship, I've always been an entrepreneur. I opened my eBay account when I was 14 years old and I was selling online. And then I think always naturally I wanted to create different, I had different business ideas. So I did get a corporate job in London when I left, uh, like after first year of university or school. Um, And I was running um, uh, the Australian Chamber of Commerce in London. So all their online, everything to do with their members, to their newsletter, to their website. And from there, I just learned so much that I always, when I had ideas, I would build sites or go to an agency and get it built. Um, had a few failures. I built a travel website, built an e-car website, and then the marketplace. Um, so it's definitely, in being an entrepreneur is definitely in me, um, but I haven't had like the typical path of going to school, having a lot of jobs at, you know, Facebook or Google. I just sort of dived right in. Yeah. Well, I mean, what were you selling um, on eBay at 14? Yeah, um, in in Australia, we loved the French uh, handbag company Longchamp, yeah. and in because it was back before you know Net-A-Porter. I don't, I'm not sure when Net-A-Porter started, maybe ten years ago or something, or fifteen years ago. Um, but the the handbags were in our local department store, which is a bit like Bloomingdale's, the equivalent, except they were triple the price than what? Paris. Yeah, because we had high import duty, we were far away, um, there wasn't enough online stores, so they knew that they could put the price up. But I had a friend in Paris, and I was like, can you please go to the outlet and get you know all the colors that no one really wants to buy, but still they're really cool, um, and can you buy them for a discounted price? So she would send me handbags that would, um, and so I could not only like put it at the same price as what you get in Paris, but um, 
you, it was still cheaper than uh, than David Jones, which was the department store that I was talking about. That is super savvy. Yeah, <laughs> I always wanted to be able to provide and still do provide something to people uh, that's of what I would call value without ripping people off. And right. I felt like everyone, when we were teenagers, wanted long shop handbags, but they were, you know, a few hundred dollars each rather than the, I think they're around $110 or less. Wow. Okay. What you said, you mentioned like different companies that you started before Pixie and did a few other things. What were some of those other things that you dabbled into? Yeah. So when I was living in Paris, um, I, I lived in Paris for 18 months and all my friends were coming over and they're like, Holly, where should we go? What should we do? And because then I was like, had visited a lot of other European cities, I was always giving guides to my friends. So in 2006, I started Guide Your Friends, which was literally mm. like a travel site for your friend, like all your recommendations. And I still don't really feel like someone's solved that issue because still people send emails like, oh, I'm going to New York. Can you send me your favorite restaurants? Um, but that sort of failed. I ended up giving it, I saved up all my money. I never, I will never uh, forget the day I went to the bank and I decided to pull it all out in cash. And the lady at the bank was like, oh, are you going to buy a car? And I was like, no. And she's like, uh, and I told her what, sort of what I was doing. She's like, you know, you should leave your money in the bank. You'll make more on the interest. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. I went off to the agency and they sort of, they, I mean, it was back in the day before there was, you know, easy way to build websites. So they sort of over-promised and under-delivered. And then my next project was an e-card website. It was a little bit like a website called Paperless Post, which allows you to design your own e-cards. Um, and I outsourced the whole project to, um, you know, overseas developers. And at the time, I didn't know what project management was. So I, it was a bit of a disaster. I was maybe 21 at the time. Um so we, they, again, they said they could build everything. I said it couldn't be a flash website because that's when, you know, iPad had come out or was coming out on mobile. And they, again, over-promised and under-delivered. But my learning lesson was that I should break up the project into smaller components. I'm way, I trust people way too much than I should. Hmm. What, for you, what's kept you going after, I mean, and I'm not, in, like, after each project and each company, where some people may have been like, okay, that's it. Like, it's not for me. But what's kept Holly going? Um, I don't think there's really, there's, for me, there's not really any other option. Like, you say, oh, that's it. It's like, I. what freaks me out is having to go to a job. Like, I have not been in a job since for the last eight years, eight or nine years, oh, sorry, about seven years um, from when I was in London. So I think it's more so... What keeps me going is, number one, like, make sure you, that I'm doing something that I really enjoy. Like, I genuinely enjoy building technology, figuring things out, and also at the moment, like, and have for the last five years is, like, working in e-commerce. So that really keeps me going is, like, our customers. And then I think just I'm just such a curious person. So even though it didn't really work, I'm like, well, why didn't it work and why can't I make this work? So it's like... By the time I got to the third one, which was the marketplace, I, that time I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to build a website. I don't want to spend money on it. So I think it's just, yeah, curiosity really keeps me going. Mm. When, when for, with Pixie, how, where do you guys get your customers and like what's your business strategy behind the e-commerce site? Yes, yeah, so 
I mean, it's definitely evolved over the years, but when I first started, I literally just went through, um, I mean, there were all sorts of different, in Australia and I'm sure as well in America, there are um, sort of guide, like shopping guides with all e-commerce stores or like boutiques. I would literally go through the phone book or the equivalent and look through Facebook and find Facebook pages and call e-commerce, call businesses. Usually the retailers also have an e-commerce store. So, or I'd look at their website and say, hey, do you need any help with your store, especially your photos, your product photos? There were trade fairs on, so all the stores, all the people who are going to a trade fair typically have a lookbook or a website where people will order. So I would contact them, you know, three months before the trade fair and say, hey, trade fair's coming up. I know you're really busy. Can I help you with your product images? Mm-hmm. And it just grew from there. Now the way in way... The way we uh, acquire customers is we multiple ways. We do a lot of blog content, and at the beginning, it seems like it doesn't work. But actually, if you track our history over the last, you know, two to three years, it's really growing. So I think like a, having a blog and, ha- and being that person in your industry that's known for what you do is a really good thing. And we also get customers through cold outreach. So again, we still have salespeople who will uh, reach out to stores. And we also have app integrations now. So we're integrated into e-commerce platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, and WooCommerce. So essentially, we, our service sits inside their, uh, their platform or their software, and people can upload their orders directly through their e-commerce store. Wow. Okay. When you guys were trying to, when you were figuring out like a pricing model, what, what was that like? Would, is the pricing today what it's always been? Or like, was it trial and error to figure out what was your sweet spot? Pricing is one of the hardest parts of the business, I would say. Um, I feel like we're still trying it. it at, at the beginning, I did flat rate pricing per image, and then everybody wanted a discount for uploading multiple images. So now we have credit image packages. I think it's also like brand and perception and it's also like who are you going after and when we first started we sort of were like anyone who's selling online so craigslist sellers etsy sellers enterprise sellers we just went for everyone and now we're sort of mid-market so people who do you know a million to 20 million dollars in revenue rather than the large stores and the people who sell on etsy and craigslist are not really our customers either they can use it but we don't target those people so i think pricing even today and for a lot of companies is not 100 percent and you only know testing and we are still testing that out and we don't have a SaaS model so we don't have a recurring revenue model but a lot of people say that we should so there's reasons for that the reason why we don't is because we're a seasonal product so not everybody has products every single week or every month because they may go to a trade fair so it's not until we launch other services or other features can we start looking at a SaaS model yeah, I, I mean, again, I've never that never even crossed my mind in the sense that I mean, if your clients, like you said, were seasonal, then that will dictate how many images that they're pushing. So then, is your how many employees do you have, and then do you use contractors to do some of the work as well? Yeah, so we have uh, sixteen team members in our core team doing product, uh, like building out the platform development. Um, and marketing and customer service. And then we have up to 200 designers on our platform. So it's a bit like an Uber model where we have designers on demand. Wow. That's a, that's a really cool – designers on demand. That, that's a good coin yeah. phrase. <laughs> what um, – through your entrepreneurial journey, for you, how have you grown as an entrepreneur? 
in terms of being like personal. Yeah. I think what's amazing is that because I haven't had the corporate experience, I've had uh, advisors around me and I've had to learn along the way. So even this morning I, I went in, I went and saw one of my investors who's also an advisor and I was like, I have never done this before. He has a 200 person company and I was like, at what stage do you give up this to somebody else? And what was surprising and it was all around product development, what was surprising is he still sits down and he still prioritizes the product and I just assumed like with a you know, multi, if not billion dollar company, he would have someone doing it, but actually he still does it. So for me, it's more like figuring out what problems we have along the way and going and speaking to those people at the time. Um, I've definitely learned so, like I've learned how to manage a technical team now. I've learned how to like set up uh, customer service and operations. I've learned how to put in marketing automation um, processes in place, which is unbelievable um, when I actually think about it, because I'm essentially learning multiple roles at, more, at the same time. Yeah, well, tell us about you said some really big words there that I was like trying to track as you were saying them, but you're, <laughs> you set up like customer service automation and things like that. What actually what goes into all of those departments or things that you've worked on? Yeah, so I think when because we're essentially a bootstrap company apart from a couple of angel investors and I was part of an accelerated program um I've had to be really lean along the way and in order to be lean you need to I I'm now based uh part based in San Francisco and as you're probably aware San Francisco Bay Area is very expensive to hire mm. so I've actually built a distributed team and by that I've had uh customer service in like other places in America and also in the Philippines and so I learned pretty quickly, like, how do I find people online? How do I hire them online um, for customer service or any role and setting up a process? So at the beginning, I was like, I had never done anything like this before. So I just would hire someone, teach them over Skype, and then I would let them on the, like on their way to do stuff. And then I would hire another person. I was like, oh, I have to repeat everything. So it's like even getting started, my biggest recommendation is like just pull up a Google document and even if you do like a brain dump or a bullet point form of everything, document it from the beginning so you don't have to repeat yourself. The other thing that I learned pretty early on was I now tell the person I'm hiring is it's going to be their job to hire the next person and train Mm. the next person. And then you essentially have people writing manuals for you and you can go back and change them and edit them. Um, but it just means that you're not doubling up on work essentially. So I think that is something that I've replicated across customer service and marketing. Um, and it can go for any role, you know, like I have a bookkeeper in the Philippines and, you know, she can document her role and then like any role you have, get that person to document it. Um, so you don't have to repeat yourself. That's, that's one of the biggest like processes that I've learned along the way. That is super savvy too. I mean, just even putting them in the mindset because then if they can turn around and teach, then that obviously means that they own what they're doing. What are some other big like efficiencies or aha moments you learned along the way that you could share with our audience? Um, A big one that I, uh, culture, everyone talks about culture. Everyone puts it at the end of their to-do list. I instilled culture from day one. I have a Google site. I would set up a Google site uh, because they're free. They no, you don't need to know any coding. It literally looks like a like a word document, but online. You can password it, give it to your team, write up your vision and your mission, and also like give that to everybody in the company. 
So then they understand like what is your culture about and hire for culture. So I send, I have a, we have a Facebook, a private Facebook group for everyone in the company and we, I send birthday cakes to people on their birthdays because we don't all sit in the same office. Um, we also send cards and we do all sorts of like cultural things. So I think like culture is really important. And if you start out at the beginning, uh, just yourself writing the mission and vision, that's fine. And the cultural, you know, your values of the company, you can always, we've just redone the values in the last, you know, month because we have more people join. And I think it's really important that everybody's a part of it, not just myself. Mm-hmm. And you were saying you guys do this on, it was a, a Google website? Yeah. So if you just go to sites.google.com, mm-hmm. you literally just pick a template and you can create your own Google site. And all you do is you type in text and you can link pages together. You don't need, there's not one bit of coding on it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to look at that. How did I not, I, maybe I'm living under a rock, but I did not know that that, that existed. Yeah. <laughs> that it's is- a bit like having like blog, I think uh, Google now is Blogspot, don't they? Blog. Oh. Yeah, I think. Well, or Blogger. That's incredible. So, and and you were saying that you use you have investors in in Pixie. Is that right? I have two angel investors, and I was part of an accelerator program here. Okay, what tell us like what was it like when you went up for investors? To be honest, I've never really done an official fundraising round. I've just been in a fortunate situation. So the two investors, the angel investors that did invest in my company, they, one had watched me work for a few months and was providing feedback and the exact same thing happened with another one. He was like more of an advisor because he understands the e-commerce space very, very well and they were just like, oh, I'm interested in putting in money mm-hmm. and that's sort of how what happened. Um, so I don't, I can't give that much fundraising advice because I haven't been there. But did anything change for you once it went from – your sole baby, if you will, to then having other people's money's invo- money involved with your company? Did anything change in terms of like, uh, I mean, maybe like how you felt or you're like, oh, someone else now has a piece of my company? I mean, it is validation. I, um, I haven't, they don't have a board seat and they don't have any voting rights. So I think it would be very different and that's what I toss up in my head all the time. Do I go for venture funding? But essentially, if you have venture funding, you essentially have a boss, which means that you have a job. Mm. So you have someone to report to. I mean, I definitely like feel uh, that I need to give back to the investors um, and I think it means like there is, everyone talks about like it's great to fail, but I'm sort of like, no, I cannot fail because I cannot let these people down. They believed in me from the beginning. And I really appreciate that because they don't like they just handed over enough money for, you know, something that they could do buy a house or a car or whatever, not quite a whole house. But, you know, and so I feel accountable in some ways towards them. Um, But I don't think, no, I mean, they're great people. I've brought on great people and they don't get involved or tell me what to do. They only provide advice when I ask for it. Mm. What's been your experience and mindset around money when it comes to the way it flows through a business? So in Australia, we're really taught to build a a profitable business or like a real business. And that's because there's been a lack of funding. 
Now, um, being in San Francisco, I don't know if you're aware, but it's very, you know, they all they want is you to put in a lot of money and grow, which is great. But what happens if you run out of money? You need to be growing enough that invest or in a, in a market that investors want to invest in. And so for me, I think it's really important. We've, we are break even and it's really important for me to do that because essentially I could go out and try and raise money and investors may say no and I could be burning a lot of money every single month. And then if I burn because they want me to grow but they don't end up investing, then I don't have a business or investors. So in terms of money in a business, like I think number one is like find customers who are willing to pay. And I know that's really difficult for consumer companies who are building, you know, an app or whatever. But I think it is important to know your numbers. And at the end of the day, if you didn't have an investor, could this be a real business that want, that sustains or supports your lifestyle mm-hmm. that you want, essentially? What, what would you say if you if people are listening right now and they want to go out and make the leap? of starting their own business, what are some key things that you, your piece of, pieces of advice that you would give them to make sure that they have like checked and like in order? What uh, would you say those are? I don't, I really don't think that there's any order and I don't think you'll ever be prepared for running a company. So you sort of just need to do it. I think my advice is get surround yourself with really good people and whether they're team members or advisors or um, even friends who are at companies who are building like a similar thing to you. So you can ask like, hey, when you got to 50 people, when it was 50 people in your company, what was the culture like? Or what do you do on Friday afternoons? Or what what? I don't like all different things. I mean, I'm going through a stage where um, around product management and like the best way to build a product, a software product. And, you know, we've done it well, but now how do we do it in scale? So I'm going to friends who are larger companies and saying, okay, when you were building this feature, what did you do? So I think that's really important. Surround yourself with good people. Mm -hmm. Next thing is I don't think that you need to build a lot, your full app to get some traction and see if there's interest in the market. When I launched Pixie, it was literally a landing page and it said, here, provide your email, email me your photos, I will send you a PayPal invoice. And that's all it was. And now we have a full order management system and all these app integrations. But I think if you are launching your site, can you start an Instagram account? Can you start a landing page? There's a, a company out there called LaunchRock. I think it's .co or .com, and you can basically build landing pages. And you don't, again, you don't need to have any coding experience. So I think it doesn't matter if you're opening a bakery or if you're opening a clothing store, if you're building a software company, you can launch a landing page and uh, or a Facebook page even and see if there's interest in your business. What would you say, well, I mean, in your experience, and I feel like what, what you are saying before too is, you found out and validated your market because people were emailing you and then you had an order of 800 photos that you're yeah. like, yes, I'm on to something. Yes. Um, do you have any advice for when people go to validate the market and before, like let's say they're in a full-time job right now and they want to take their idea or their side hustle and just even continue to validate it further. Is there any advice that you would give around that? Yes, I would, and I'm very scrappy when it comes to finding customers at the beginning. I would literally find out where are those users. Again, it really depends if it's B2B, business to business or business to consumer, but find out where they are, 
hire, if you have a little bit of money, even if you have $400 for the month, I would hire a virtual assistant in the Philippines and give them a list of things to do, whether it's get email addresses for you or if it's contact people and start emailing people a cold outreach campaign, especially if you're B2B. You can't do this B2C, but you're going to set up a a series of four emails or three emails and you're going to get the virtual assistant to copy, paste, send. Copy, paste, send. You can set up an email address in Gmail or your company thing, your company email. So um, it can be a separate email address that you give them access to and they email on your behalf. When the person replies, then you reply but you can hire a full-time virtual assistant in the Philippines for $400 a month. So you could at least get a part-time person and get them to email and ask questions. And even if your first email is, hi, I'm an entrepreneur, everyone can relate to that. I'm thinking of um, building out this, whatever it is. If I would love your feedback, can I speak to you on the phone for 15 minutes? Can we schedule a call? And then if you get them to email 100 people and 10 reply or five reply, that's five people you can ask questions to. Mm-hmm. So that's how I go about it on a business side. On a consumer side, you could have a landing page on LaunchRock and you could run a Facebook ad for a week or two and drive traffic to it. I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your advice on that. <laughs> I have an <laughs> idea of something to do for that as well. I've used um, virtual assistants in the Philippines before and what I found is they're like I couldn't think of enough stuff for them to do but I obviously maybe I wasn't in the right mindset do you have any um like ideas or things of what people could actually leverage VAs for in the Philippines in order to be more productive in their business yeah definitely I mean I have everyone from a bookkeeper to people who find tweets to articles uh to creating newsletters you could I mean even if I always um, I have someone on my team and they're always like you need to send more emails and one of the emails that we could be sending is an um every week is sort of a little bit of a newsletter with like the top five e-commerce articles that we found on the internet so essentially could have an you could have a virtual assistant who goes out and finds like top five great articles that were like great for our newsletter. They could put that in a document. You could get someone to write, you know, five tweets for you for the week, not personal ones. They can be like articles that are relevant to your industry and put them into say like a social media planning tool like Buffer. Um, You could get them to do it for other social media platforms. You could also get them to, you could have a virtual assistant reach out to uh, press So I actually personally reached out to you, but I could have had a virtual assistant find, you know, five uh, entrepreneur podcasts or something Mm -hmm. to reach out to. Um, The other one is like blog, guest blogging is a great um, way to get customers, but also put yourself in the spotlight for the industry that you're in. So get a virtual assistant to reach out to blogs that you want to write for and say, hi, it's Holly. Uh, or, you know, would you like to cover a story on Holly or can we write a guest blog post and these are the topics we recommend. So essentially you can get them to do anything online. I've also had virtual assistants book restaurants and holidays for me. Um, what? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Okay, so then my next question is how, do you use a system to manage your VAs or is it all so- – yeah, it gets pretty crazy. I do use Google Drive oh, spreadsheets a lot. I use Asana, which is a task management list. Mm-hmm. So Asana or Trello are fantastic for that. But essentially, you can just uh, have a spreadsheet and just put in tasks and the date. And 
people, I mean, assistants who are remote employees are very diligent. Especially, I wonder why that is. Um, I think as a freelancer, the only way you're going to get paid is if you do your work and you wake up and get it done. Like you don't have to be at a desk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm. That could also be their culture. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Well, share with us a couple last questions. What is one of like a favorite book or a resource that you go back to that really has helped you in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, to be honest, I listen to podcasts more probably than reading books. But lately, I am reading Extreme Revenue Growth, The Guide for Silicon Valley CEOs by Victor Cheng. Okay. So I'm still only new into it, but I think um, it really, like it goes into, for me, it's important because it goes into, like we have a product, we have revenue, but how do we grow it even further? And then the other thing is I think starting out, people don't like it, but the Lean Startup Manual. So how can you validate your idea at the beginning? That was one of my go-to books at the beginning Mm -hmm. of building a company. Awesome. What This is kind of a um, fun little question, but if you could give a movie title to your life and it could be an existing one or a made-up one, what would you name it? Well, uh, this is made up, but a roller coaster. <laughs> Literally. I'll take it. <laughs> Actually, I had the quote the other day, and maybe it'll be called Snakes and Ladders. My thing that I came up with the other day was building building a company is like snakes and ladders. Sometimes you get to go on the ladder and go straight to the top. Sometimes you land on the snake and slide all the way back to the beginning. That's oh, how I I love I, that. It's literally like that. You're like some days you're like, woo, I got to like I got to jump two levels and then the next day you're like, oh what? We have to start again. You're like, wait, I just went like two steps forward and now I got to take three steps back. Like, come on. Exactly. Oh my gosh. No, that's so good. Around that. But yeah, it's a roller coaster slash snakes and ladders combined. That is so good. Well, Holly, thank you so much for your time and, and for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. so much for having me. Yeah. And we'll have links to your site and all that. And you guys can find her and her company on Instagram. So we'll have that in the show notes for our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Holly. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the She Did It Her Way podcast. Did you like this episode? Head on over to iTunes.com to leave us a rating and a review. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out SheDidItHerWayPodcast.com where you can subscribe to our email list so you can receive the inside scoop on our latest episode released each Monday. Now, do us a favor and go make it a great week.